Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here today as part of our new podcast series, Journey Through the Realms, to discuss the Ravenloft D&D setting. Ravenloft was originally published as an adventure module in 1983 for the first edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. It was designed and written by Tracy and Laura Hickman. In 2016, Wizards of the Coast published Curse of Strahd, an adaptation of the original Ravenloft module for D&D 5th edition. Joining me today to talk about Ravenloft is my guest, Andy Klosky. Andy, welcome back to the Academy, sir. It's been a while. It's good to be back, brother. How you been? I'm doing well, all things considered. Uh, no big complaints other than the kidney stones. We talked a little bit about that, but hopefully yeah. uh, they'll either take care of themselves or I've got a procedure scheduled in a week and a half to do that. Uh, how about you? Again, it, so I'll give you a chance a second to talk a little bit about your bona fides, but we've known each other for about, what, seven years at this point? I want to say 2011, 2012, sometime around there, when I was running demos of Cold Steel Wardens down yeah, in Cincinnati. Yeah, so I, I met you at one of the local conventions I used to live at near Cincinnati, mm-hmm. played your game Cold Steel Wardens, which is still one of my favorite RPGs for superheroes. Uh, we had you on the show. You ran a session. We did mm-hmm. a trial of it. That was a blast. <laughs> yes, it was a ton of fun. And again, please go listen to those. Uh, so you're a game designer, you, you know, uh, so I guess at the point, so tell people who may not know you a little bit about yourself and your bona fides in the RPG world. So, yeah, um, I <laughs> long time, long time gamer. My, my cousin Jason got me started when I was in fifth grade. I, I turned 38 this year. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm going on, you know, almost 30 years of gaming at this point, which kind of makes me sad <laughs> because old, but, uh, when I when I hit college, I, along with a number of other individuals and the still guild advisor, uh, Lionel uh, Werman, uh, formed the Wittenberg Role-Playing Guild at Wittenberg University, where we started running games, started hosting our own uh, small, you know, about 125-person gaming convention. Which I've been to a couple times. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's, we're going two years without a WitCon now, and I'm, you know... A little fearful for what comes next, but we'll 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 see if the legacy remains. Um, but from there, uh, started doing some freelance writing and editing with a uh, with a number of companies for RPGs and board games, and eventually led led to creating Blackfall Press, through which I uh, kickstarted Cold Steel Wardens and the still still long overdue Rogues Gallery, which I promise it's coming, guys. <laughs> I, I really want it out there, <laughs> but uh, life has uh, life has proceeded to kick me in the proverbial butt for quite a while, and this past uh, year of COVID has been no exception. I don't know if I mentioned you, Michael. I went in for spinal surgery actually in July, so. Yeah, I don't think I, I wasn't there. Was an issue with with your knee, or was that Julia? Uh, that was 2016. Uh, I, I tore my meniscus, and it was misdiagnosed for almost three months. And I walked on it and messed it up even further. Doing all right with that now, uh, but what you're probably thinking of is my wife had a very serious appendectomy that same year. Okay, uh, like she was hospitalized for over a week, so because it it burst, it, it was a mess. Oh, yeah, that's but, not good. But yeah, I had a herniated disc in my neck, and it's it's fine now. <laughs> it was not at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have so many stories that, that that I can sum up that way too. It's fine now, but mm-hmm. it wasn't then. Yep. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. Glad yep. to see you because we have not talked in a while. Yep. Again, no WitCon uh, going on two years. No Catacon last yep. year. 
Yeah, I think the last time we really spoke was a Catacon 2019. Yeah, that definitely would have been the last time I would have seen you in person for yep. sure. The uh, so it has it has been a tick, and we are well overdue to sling some dice together. Yes, yes, we are. Uh, but tonight we're here to talk about Ravenloft. So I'll start with what's your Ravenloft origin story? How did you come into contact with that originally, if you recall? Oh man! So when I first started gaming, I, I started with uh, second edition D and D. I really started with Heroes Unlimited first, but my first D and D game, my first fantasy game, was uh, was black black and red uh, books, uh, second edition D and D, and of course, I'd pick up the you know Dragon magazine every so often. It always had the ads in the back for oh, what's coming out in the release schedule. And the one that always caught me, you know, were the were the Ravenloft ones, mainly for the covers. You know, the art was always so evocative. And in fact, the first actual module of any D and D source uh, that I got was my mom, who my parents are very very Catholic. <laughs> So, okay. but it was always a strange, I don't want to say blind spot, but a strange, you know, uh, pleasant pleasantry that my mom never had the issue of the satanic panic. Uh, she had no issues, yeah. you know, buying me, you know, role-playing or D&D material or, or what have you. But the first module that I ever, ever got and ever ran and ever, you know, uh, ever got to enjoy was the Ravenloft uh, module, the Nightmare Lands, which if you, if you Google the image is this image of a grim reaper, you know, extending his hand out towards, out towards the viewer. And it's just, you know, amazingly striking. So if you can imagine, you know, uh, a middle-aged Polish woman walking into, walking into a game store to buy this for her, you know, seventh grade, (laughs) Uh, kid, you're in the right neighborhood. <laughs> nice. So but, one of the things that's kind of weird about Ravenloft, or unusual, maybe not weird, is that Ravenloft really isn't a setting like you would think traditionally like Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. or even Dark Sun. I think technically Barovia is the name of the land. So mm-hmm. what does the name Ravenloft actually refer to? So Ravenloft as a setting to my to the best of my understanding and i'm i'm not a super lore expert i i've i've read a lot and i've run a lot of ravenloft but as as the title ravenloft that's meant to refer to the meta setting rather than a specific world uh within there and it it does refer obviously to the the titular castle where strad and all his uh, undead buddies are hanging out but it really kind of depends what version of Ravenloft you're you're going to go with because if you go back to the original second edition kind of lore Ravenloft was very much the amalgamation of other settings so there is a domain that is based on Dragonlance called Sithicus where Lord Soth you know the the you know probably most famous death knight in D&D was for a while until Dragonlance wanted him back, and that's a whole kerfluffle. Uh, <laughs> there are references to Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk and so many other, um, so many other settings that were pieced together into Ravenloft, and and in Second Edition, it really kind of lent itself to what was referred to as the Weekend in Hell, where it's like 
oh, your your normal characters get shunted into the mists, and we're going to run a horror adventure for three, three or four sessions, and then we're going to try to find our way out somehow. What's interesting, though, is that in third edition and, and 3.5, uh, when that was subcontract, uh, subcontract, I don't know, uh, it was contracted, it was farmed out to, uh, to White Wolf slash Sword and Sorcery, they really did a lot of work to make Ravenloft into a cohesive setting. In terms of what you call the land, it's, it's often referred to as the core, as in here's this core continent and here's how they interrelate. And some of the best materials that, that you can get from that third edition run were the Gazetteers, when, mm-hmm. in which you know the, the ruler of Darkon, Azalin Rex, uh, which if I'm going to spoil a 30-year-old D&D setting, Azalin's a lich. Uh, <laughs> uh, he has commissioned this mysterious scholar named S to, tra- to travel the core and write about all the goings-on that's there and who might possibly be the dread lord in that, in that geographical area and what their powers are and what their restrictions are, that sort of thing. And the writing in it is really phenomenal. And it's, it's, they're very usable books while you're at the table. Like, it even goes granular down into the details where to stay in Levkarest or where to stay in, you know, Kresk or where have you. Right. They're really phenomenal books with lots of great maps and illustrations. In fact, it's through the, the 335 edition of Ravenloft that I first became aware of Talon Dunning, the artist that I commissioned for the covers of Cold Steel Wardens and Rogue's Gallery. I like nice. his his art in in Ravenloft was just so evocative and so spectacular for that setting that I I was like this is the guy I need. Nice. That's a that's a cool little connection there. Mm-hmm. I like that quite a lot. So for good or bad, we have sort of used Forgotten Realms as a baseline. Mm-hmm. I think it's the setting that most people are probably most familiar with. Oh yeah. So not comparing better or worse, but just differences what is it about Ravenloft? Like, what is different about Ravenloft as compared to, say, a Forgotten Realms? Even though I know technically they're like connected and they're like mm-hmm. by planes, but just when you think of the Forgotten Realms and the types of adventures that you would play there, how is that different when you talk about Ravenloft? So, it's something I've learned about myself, you know, in almost thirty years of gaming that I find I like best D and D when it's D and D plus something else. Okay. I love Planescape because it's D&D, but it's also esoteric Victorian philosophy. I like uh, Eberron because it's D&D plus also post-World War I alliances with steampunk thrown in. Mm-hmm. I like Ravenloft because it's D&D plus that classic gothic hammer horror. Mm-hmm. That idea where you have a Dark Lord that is this tragic somewhat sympathetic maybe empathetic uh figure that has done absolutely horrible things but you can still see man i understand how that how that creature became what it is now okay Um, ravenloft does differ mechanically in a number of ways there's a big emphasis on uh in the the three e versions had fear horror and madness checks which uh would inflict you know, potentially long-lasting mental effects to kind of echo some of the stuff that was being done in Call of Cthulhu uh, previously. The, uh, the Fear, more Horror, and Madness were carried over from 2nd Edition, where they had a similar function. Okay. 
Ravenloft also kind of focuses a, a lot less on the typical dungeon delve sort of scenario, as opposed to a more heavy investigative tech, which, you know, we've talked about Cold Steel Wardens and how, how much I enjoy that sort of, you know, investigative right. issue with that. But Ravenloft really puts forward that the idea. It's one of the one of the nitpicks that I have, and this is me being a grognard entirely. It's one of the nitpicks that I have about Curse of Strahd, actually, is the fact that they chose to make Rudolf von Richten a spellcaster. Because in prior editions, it was a specific point that Rudolf von Richten was not a spellcaster. He was an ordinary guy. He had he had no mystic abilities. His prowess as a monster hunter came from the fact that he researched his foes, that he, you know, tracked down material weaknesses and, you know, teamed up with and investigated with different people within the community to uh, to try to track down a given monster. So it's that aspect of it, that sort of hunt mentality. So you're getting into Van Helsing territory right. or fantastic reference. Brotherhood of the Wolf, one of my favorite mm-hmm. yeah, foreign films is it's spectacular. Uh, a film studies episode we did uh, on Brotherhood of the Wolf. If you want to check, the, anybody listening wants to check that out. It was our first film studies ever we did on that movie. Oh, one of my favorites, starring uh, starring Mark DeCasos, later the chairman from Iron Chef America. <laughs> nice. So, again, just to make it clear, in case there's someone who's listening who maybe doesn't know Ravenloft at all, mm-hmm. it's sort of a Transylvania Gothic horror. Dracula inspired realm of darkness and pervasive evil. Very much so. The uh, a lot of the dark lords, and I won't say all, but a lot of the dark lords are very heavily inspired by Gothic and Victorian era literature. There is Strahd is very the very you know emblematic of of Dracula. You know the, sure. the Bram Stoker version. There's another dark lord, Vlad Drakov, who's who maybe skews more towards the the Vlad Tepish kind of you know warlord version of Dracula. Mm-hmm. There is a Jekyll and Hyde domain where you know the 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 dark lord is a split personality, and you know they're constantly in conflict. One that I know is coming up in the the coming Van Richten's Guide, which I'm very much looking forward to for fifth edition. Uh, is uh, is very much Frankenstein and Frankenstein's creation, uh, Adam. So, so the struggle between them, players get caught in the middle. However, there are also domains that are really outside that kind of paradigm. One of the ones that's kind of major in the Ravenloft campaign I'm currently running, actually, uh, which kind of led me to, you know, knock your door down to try to get in on this uh, podcast, He's a mind controller, and he uses subtle influence to try to put himself in positions of power within uh, this given city-state. However, he's constantly cursed because any woman that he finds attractive immediately sees through his mental deceptions and just loathes him instantaneously because he's this manipulative SOB. So Right. So that's his kind of uh, curse, but it doesn't necessarily have an analog within the uh, gothic horror. But there's, you know, there's a portrait of Dorian Gray domain. There's a, you know, there's werewolf legend domains. I mean, there's a Jack the Ripper style domain that I love using. That's uh, literally, it's called Paradon. That's a mashup of Paris and London. (laughs) 
Nice. So we, we've kind of circled it a little bit, but just to put a bow on it. So one of the questions I like to ask are, what are some of the unique features of the setting? Mm -hmm. So we already talked about that, that the mechanics of like fear and uh, horror. What was, what was the three you said? Fear? Fear, horror, and madness. Madness. Okay. Which isn't what I would say standard. Uh, you know, again, it might have been carried over, but that's not something you like your traditional Forgotten Realms probably not going to be using. No. But are there anything else about the setting that you think is, is unique to Ravenloft? One of the one of the neater things that I found in in Ravenloft is that idea of temptation that okay. you can achieve power by giving in to your darkest temptations uh, and undergoing what are called powers checks at times, where it's do the dark powers that are out in Ravenloft see what you're doing and maybe say, hey, you know, keep doing that. Uh, one of my current players, actually, he's a uh, he's playing a rogue in my uh, in my current five E Ravenloft game. He came across a cursed uh, cursed set of armor called the Skin of Apophis. That he uh, he had started out that he could turn into an asp, and you know slither through certain areas and. Every so often, you know, he keeps using this power. It gets a little stronger, and it just came out to our party that, in fact, uh, he, he can he's capable of turning into a 20 to 25-foot-long giant dire asp, <laughs> which came in handy while they were fighting a, a pyre elemental. So Nice. Okay. So, obviously, Strahd is a big part, at least of, of my limited knowledge. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't even know there were these other domains. Mm -hmm. So... One of the questions I like to ask are what are some of the the prominent important locations and NPCs or even storylines that people might get involved in? I know that's a big broad question. We're mm -hmm. not gonna hit all of them, but what are some of the cooler ones or the ones you have the most experience with mm -hmm. when you think of features, locations, NPCs or storylines yeah. within the Ravenloft? Uh, world? obviously the big one is of course Strahd. I mean the, the, the original module you know, Ravenloft, he's the big bad guy. He is, you know. The, the Dracula stand-in, so to speak, even though he very much has his own history and his own storyline. Uh, some of my favorites in particular, uh, one that I, I used fairly recently was Ivana Borizzi. The domain of Borka, which actually borders Barovia in the, uh, the 335 core uh, in, okay. that, in that continent, is very much based on, you know, the Borgias from, you know, Renaissance era Italy. She's referred to as the Black Widow because, you know, no one seems to manage to survive a, a courtship with her. But, you know, her duplicitousness is all about all about poisons and and, you know, manipulating one faction against the other and my players very much ran afoul of her when they when they killed her best friend. <laughs> Who just happens to be uh, a a construct creature called an Ormordanung, which is basically a assembled corpse person who has poison instead of blood. Oh, okay, you know it's a good time, right? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned you know Sithicus previously. I, Lord Soth was one of my favorite Dragonlance characters, you know, as as a bad guy. So that one, you know, was always interesting to me, especially the the Ravenloft take on Kender. Okay. Where, you know, you had these kind of mischievous uh, creatures who very much became a twisted, cannibalistic fae type uh, creature that even the, the elves of Sithicus really feared and, you know, wouldn't go too deep to, to, get, a, uh, to get away from them. Uh, another one that uh, 
my wife's character, actually, my wife's running a Hexblade Warlock uh, right now, uh, who has a pact with a a pact with one of these Dark Lords. The Dark Lord is actually a sword, uh, not unlike Black Razor. It's called Ebon Bane. And the, the sword is desperately trying to free itself, but the spirit of this paladin in Shadowborn Manor is basically locking it down and keeping it imprisoned within this house, even as it accrues ever more power to try to, to, try to escape. Okay. So the Dark Lords really do uh, run the gamut from you know classic gothic archetypes to stuff that really stretch some of the writer's creativity. So are there any storylines that are sort of like canon that the players get involved with, or is it always sort of a start from zero whenever you take players there? Within 2E, uh, there was what was referred to as the Grand Conjunction storyline, which was a series of modules. And if you were to play the Grand Conjunction in the order of the prophecy that, that goes with them in terms of the meta plot, the, the adventures won't work. Because it has okay. like a really high level adventure and then a really low level adventure, and it's like it, it it to go back and play it, it would be a lot of messing around. That said, the modules themselves are really interesting and a lot of fun, but they require some messiness. It's kind of one thing that that Ravenloft has really never had is a full campaign arc. Okay. Uh, as a setting, it's very much lent itself to that weekend in hell sort of thing where, right. oh, well, we're going to take a couple weeks off of Eberron and you guys get trapped in the mists in this, you know, in crazy industrialist domain. Um, or you get the sort of campaign where it's, we are, you know, heroes struggling against the night, you know, trying to, you know, find some degree of light and peace within a really, you know, dark, I don't want to say hopeless, because hope is very much the point of Ravenloft. Okay. If you don't have hope, then these Dark Lords aren't cursed. For all of them, it's a matter of, they always have that that tantalizing bit that's out of reach. You know, Strahd has Tatiana, you know, Azalin has his this belief that he can escape if he just learns the right spell, but his curse is of course that he cannot learn any new magic. If he learns something new, he forgets something that he that he knew previously. I know that feeling. So uh, there's there's a lot there, but yeah, unfortunately there's not a whole lot of straight storyline uh right. that you could play through as a as a full campaign arc. Now in the three line, there were references to what was called the time of unparalleled darkness, a time in which, you know, and it was always left very nebulous where certain machinations, particularly by a fiend called the gentleman caller, uh, were going to take shape. So, but, un okay. but unfortunately that's not, it's not the sort of thing where it's like, I want to play the gentleman caller adventures and they don't exist. Yeah. You, you got to piece it together. So despite all my years of playing D&D &D and other role-playing games, and, and I have some passing familiarity with Ravenloft, I've never ran a game in mm -hmm. Ravenloft, and I've never played... Well, that's not true. I was actually a guest one time <laughs> on uh, How We Roll podcast. I got to play in one session, but I didn't really know what, what was going on because I, I, was, I was just in for that one session. Yep. So I can't say I've never played in Ravenloft, but I've almost never played in Ravenloft. So I don't really know a whole lot about it. But what I do know, the, the passing familiarity is, as you were saying, it was very common, almost like how Tomb of Horrors was kind of an FU to players. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you think you're big and bad? I'm going to send you to the Tomb of Horrors and I'm going to kill you. Ravenloft was somewhat of a 
punishment or not that's probably a bad way of saying it but a sort of uh you you're comfortable with your characters you've just had this big mm-hmm. success you think you're powerful let's put you in Ravenloft and see how you do and again like you said yeah. you know you'd just be walking through Eberron or Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. or Dragonlance whatever and the mist would arise and your party would mm-hmm. become lost and when the mist cleared you were now in this other place mm-hmm. now you're in Ravenloft so I, I don't know of a lot of stories that involve players starting in Ravenloft, creating a character Ravenloft with the idea of trying to change it. It was always, from my experience, you were somewhere else. Now you're there. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, and I think that that comes from its original kind of foundation as that that weekend in hell sort of scenario, as well as the fact that it's very much an amalgam of a no- of so many other settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. My uh, my current campaign, and I'll kind of talk this up a little bit, is is very much the latter of what you described. Uh, All of the characters are natives to the core in there. Uh, The premise, uh, I I titled our campaign The Friends of Henri Broussard. Uh, And the first session that we had was his funeral. Uh, Henri had died, and all of them were in some ways acquaintances of this man, who they found out over you know, different adventures and different uh, investigations that he was, um, he was a member of what's called the Order of Emerald, which in the actual Ravenloft lore is called the Order of the Guardians, which I wanted something that sounded a little less on the nose. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Henri had a, ran a uh, logistics and shipping business. So he was able to smuggle evil artifacts that would be excavated by certain agents of his across different borders and basically be put in quarantine and isolated. So he had a number of contacts and as part of the, the will reading, you know, each of our, our, our player characters received a, a kind of honorarium gift from Henri, some of which are more, maligned than others, but they received a list of potential contacts and leads that Henri had uh, accumulated and not resolved. So the, the, the backbone of this campaign has been them trying to check things off of Henri's list. And okay. that's led them across the core, <laughs> particularly the western half of the core, which is much more much more industrialized. Uh, Ravenloft tends to have a higher tech level than your standard D&D, especially okay. if you use domains like Richemulot and Dement Lou, uh, where firearms are considered part and parcel. If you were, th- it's, it's much, much more three musketeers and, okay. you know, uh, and even into the 1800s era in terms of technology compared to your typical fantasy. Um, the current plot line that my players are undergoing actually uh, is dealing with a um, democratic uprising uh, in the domain of Demetlu. So we have very much of a um, French Revolution sort of situation going on if the French Revolution were being run by secret psionic spy masters. You know, so pretty much the French Revolution, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think we've, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but again, to put a bow on it, when you think of a Ravenloft adventure, what type of adventure do you think Ravenloft supports more so than others? Oh, Haunted House, definitely. You know, the Lost in the Woods with Werewolves, Cursed, you know, Artifacts, Cursed Individuals, Misty Moors, and, you know, 
I, I picture like the, the, the English fens in the North country, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, you know, mad science gone amok, um, asylum adventures. Yeah. Um, they have a trip to, uh, to an asylum Island coming up very soon and they are not looking forward to that. <laughs> so like, you know, all your universal classic movie monsters, oh, yeah. uh, Gothic horror tropes, mm-hmm. those are sorts of things that, that I, I don't think, not that you couldn't do it in Ravenloft, but sort of the traditional go kill something, take it stuff, go kill something else mm-hmm. doesn't really fit the Ravenloft style. So are you going to, would you say you have less combat in a Ravenloft game or is it just different? I would say that there's less overall, but combat tends to be much more um, climactic. Uh, the setting okay. does encourage you to throw higher level threats at lower level parties. Not in the sense that you're going to try to kill them, but in the sense that this is a challenge, and if you don't have the proper preparations, if you haven't researched your foe, if you haven't, you know, done the legwork, yeah, you you might die because you're fighting a, an evil fiend or a lich or, you know, a mummy that, you know, that had you researched, you might find out that, oh, it's it's partner was slain by an obsidian dagger, and if you, if it's confronted with obsidian, it falls into racking sobs, you know. So it, it, it very much encourages that heavy investigation portion. So so the challenge is still there, but the emphasis is very much on, you know, how do we go about finding a creature's weakness? How do we go about, you know, stalking? Uh, one of the first monsters that my, my group came upon was a spectral hag that was abducting children and kind of brainwashing them to take them back into, you know, this kind of fey realm. And they found out, oh, well, we could lure them out with these uh, with these sweets that we bought from this local patisserie. So they went and bought a bunch of chocolate croissants and other, you know, sweet cakes and managed to get all the, the, the hypnotized kids herded away so they could uh, attack the hag safely. I, I think kind of what you're speaking to, and I've, I've read some of the stuff, you know, done a little bit of research about the setting. And one of the things that uh, the designers were looking for, Tracy and Laura, I believe, mm-hmm. was they were trying to give personality back to some of the monsters that, you know, in in like traditional first edition D&D, most vampires were just vampires. Yeah. You know, they were interchangeable, they were disposable, mm-hmm. and they wanted to give these classic monsters more of a personality like a Dracula. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that carries over to even lower, like, sub-boss fights where it's not just, oh, we have to kill a ghoul. We have to kill this specific ghoul who is the lover of this person. This is why I became a ghoul. And, mm-hmm. and knowing the history makes the fight more interesting, but also gives you valuable insight on how you might overcome this ghoul, even though level-wise, maybe it's a, you know, you're punching above your weight class. Mm-hmm if you're willing to do that research and then you're rewarded for that investigative type because you can now beat the ghoul or whatever the case yeah. may be. And, and it's exactly that. Plus it encourages GMs to really stretch the limits of what, what characters could be there in the, in the three, three, five version. One of my favorite all time NPCs is a character called Tobin, the many Tobin, the many is a sentient zombie plague. <laughs> okay. So it will inhabit a corpse and it can speak through all of the corpses that it inhabits. 
And unless you manage to kill every Tobin zombie that's out there, he's still coming. Mm. And, you know, then if you dig deep into the lore, you can find out that there are certain weaknesses that he has being a hive mind type uh, type creature that you could exploit. To, and there's, in fact, a certain dark lord there where, where if he ends up in that domain, that dark lord may say, yep, you work for me now. Which he very much fears, of course. Nice. Uh, so you mentioned that you're running a campaign currently, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you've ran more than one in Ravenloft. So I always like to ask of a favorite memory as either a player or as a GM in a Ravenloft game. So you, you probably have many, but what's the first one that comes to mind is just like an absolute Ravenloft moment that wouldn't have happened in another game. <laughs> I'm going to pull two here. They're from the same campaign. The first one okay, being... that's fine. This is a campaign I read all the way back in college, and my aforementioned friend Lionel uh, was running a ranger. I was being kind of a stickler with the fact that because they were coming from different domains, they didn't necessarily know the same languages to start, to start the game. Okay. So we, it, it just so happened that, you know, three of the group could communicate and then two of the group and his, his character just was not literate in any of those languages. <laughs> so he spent the majority of the, of the first few sessions before he said, enough of this, I spend a skill point or two to learn a language communicating with pictures. So trying to, you know, scrawl little, you know, things on pieces of paper and, you know, uh, and, you know, sticks in the ground, you know, the, scrawling in the dirt just to try to communicate basic things it was a lot of fun um it did grow a little long in the tooth after a minute i'm sure but uh but for for a little bit there it was like oh man we get that idea because um one of the other things in ravenloft ravenloft is a very humanocentric setting so most of the most of the domains uh are primarily humans with very few you know, dwarves and elves and gnomes and things like dragonborn and, you know, tieflings are much more uncommon. Right. And in fact, would incur what was called an outcast rating that basically was a penalty to a number of social skills and a a benefit to things like intimidate and the like, uh, if you were a a fish out of water, so to speak. Um, Gotcha. In both second and third, you could play what's called a Caliban, which was kind of the replacement for the half-orc or, or orc uh, character, where you were a deformed sort of uh, figure, you know, a you know, Quasimodo-style character. Okay. It was always a, a goal of mine, if I ever got to play a Ravenloft game, which I am sad to say I've never really gotten to play a Ravenloft extended campaign, that I would love to play a Caliban monk type character. And in the lore, there's a, there's a monastery that's uh, now that, now that I have to talk about it, I can't remember the name, but the premise, it's like, it's the order of sanctified lightning or the like. And every member of it is a flesh golem that was animated by lightning. Okay. So this character would be a flesh golem, but never realize it. Okay. And just thought, oh, I'm this disfigured person because I was born this way. Well, no, you were made this way. Nice. The second one to go with that, and this is Ravenloft's lethality. Uh, to go with Ravenloft's lethality, my my uh, my college roommate Carl was uh, was running a, a fighter cleric uh, multi class, and 
as soon as uh, uh, the first bit of that of that particular session, they ended up fighting this bridge troll. It's it was straight out of the the Ravenloft three DMG actually the that encounter, and I got really lucky with some dice rolls and claw claw rend and mm. died. Oh wow! Okay, so Carl spends the next two hours where the rest of us are playing he's you know he's chiming in now and again he's rolling up a, a new paladin okay cool he brings the character in they're about to go fight this um this aquatic hag or or some some other aquatic creature that proceeds to drown his full plate wearing character <laughs> so it's the only time i've ever killed the same player's character twice in the same session yeah, those are brings back memories of my day playing first and second edition where you'd have one player rolling a new character where everyone wants to play yep. and then they sometimes would die right away. It's so. the only time that's ever happened in any of my games, I swear, but it, it was almost laughable. Um, strangely enough, that character's twin sister arrived for the next session. I mean, oh, yeah. isn't that a, yeah. a strange coincidence? Strange, strange, so weird. Yep. All right, so let's say we have someone who's familiar with D&D, but, but like me, has never ran a Ravenloft game. They decide they want to. What is like either one specific or just sort of the overriding advice you would give someone to make sure they run a Ravenloft game? In terms of advice, the biggest thing I could say is prepare your players and their characters for ardor. I, l- I like the word ardor to represent a challenge that's not overwhelming, but might seem that way. But be sure to provide them those avenues of, hey, have you tried this? Hey, have you talked to so-and-so person? Hey, have you considered doing some research at this institute or this library? Provide them ways to overcome that insurmountable evil. Because very much, you know, Ravenloft has those iconic villains and it's, you know, this depressing place of darkness and dread. But without light, without hope, none of that dread has any meaning. So you've got to kind of foster a little bit of both at the same time. Give them the victories here and there. But victories should also be hard-earned. So so be wary of how you use ardor in terms of Ravenloft. Also, there's so much great source material out there. Uh, between right. the the previous editions, which have such great flavor to them, and the actual literature itself, so many great films as well. Uh, Penny Dreadful uh, makes for a great Ravenloft game. If you've seen the the former HBO series, there, there's so many options. Um, another one on Netflix right now, the uh, the Irregulars. That kind of mm-hmm. uses Sherlock Holmes as a backdrop for this kind of supernatural investigation series. Another great, uh, another great inspiration for a, for a new Ravenloft GM. Okay. And then we'll flip the script. You're a player that's never played in a Ravenloft before. You're, you're rolling up your first character. What would you give advice of a player in a Ravenloft game? Sheath your sword. <laughs> okay. You know, put it away. It's very tempting in D&D to get wrapped up in, oh, well, I just got this new spell that deals 18d6 damage to, you know, plant creatures and what have you. And in a lot of ways, Ravenloft doesn't care. It's, it's more a matter of what's the story being told? What's the, what's the history of, of the, the monster that you're fighting? What's, uh, what, what dread curse has made its way through the ages to land in your lap? Um, as opposed to 
look at the cool powers I can do. Right. That's interesting. I think that's making sure that the players understand that this isn't a typical D&D game where killing things, taking their stuff is the normal routine. Yeah. Uh, that's probably not going to work. Yep. Uh, and then where would you send people if someone wants to get more information? So again, it sounds like there's a whole dearth of previous editions oh, and yeah. stuff, but is there any place in particular you use to get uh, your Ravenloft? One work? of my favorite all-time uh, GMing advice books is actually the 3E35 uh, Ravenloft Dungeon Master's Guide. Okay. Uh, if you can get hold of, I believe it's on the DM Guild. I could be wrong, but really quality resource. There are a number of uh, secondhand, uh, if you go to the you know, secondary market, that you, you could find it. But just a really quality resource on how to establish mood, how to how to structure uh, encounters and adventures. They have you know just really thorough ways to to build a good, not just horror setting, but but kind of that gothic horror setting where you know lineage and curses and you know familial right have such a high precedence. Okay. The, uh, the big obvious one is going to be there's a Ravenloft book coming out in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, uh, Wizards has uh, put forward. I'm pre-ordering a copy briefly. I know there are going to be changes. I accept that. It's okay. If I don't like something, I'll throw it out. I'll put in something yeah. that I do like. But that's a great place to start, particularly for people who, who may have only played 5th edition so far or are just jumping on in terms of Ravenloft as a setting. Okay. And I'll see if I can track down some of those DMs Guild products if, they are, mm-hmm. I'll, if they're out there, and I'll link yeah. them to it in the show There notes. is a then... really wonderful community, uh, if you search on, on the DMs Guild, of people who've, cre- who've updated domains to 5th edition or updated classes and, and kits, if we want to go back to the 2E days, um, yeah. to, uh, to the current rule set. Um, there's one called Heroes of, uh, Heroes of Ravenloft or Heroes of the Mists. Those are two, two separate products that I'm using in my current game as well. There are also a number of great monster manual type uh, uh, entries on there where they update okay. a, a legion of the, of the classic Ravenloft horror monsters. Like uh, one, we, one we didn't talk about were the Carrionettes. That are these okay, little well, Pinocchio type uh, type uh, puppet creatures that will sneak up on people as they sleep and insert these little silver needles into their joints so that they can manipulate their them through this soul energy. Wow. Yep. That's very creepy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Andy, thank you so very much for covering Ravenloft with me tonight. And always just a pleasure to get to talk to you. We should do this more often. Absolutely, brother. Things. Anytime you need someone to sit in, just let me know. We'll, we'll absolutely do. Uh, but if people want to find you on the internet, if they want to talk to you about Ravenloft, or they want to talk about uh, your game, Cold Steel Wardens, where can people find you? Biggest, most easiest place is going to be is going to be either on Facebook at Blackfall Press LLC, which I do not update as much as I should. Uh, also Twitter, which I'm trying to actively be uh, more present on, uh, which is at Blackfall Press. All right, excellent. And if they again, if they want to buy Cold Steel Wardens, that's where they would go. Um, you could uh, easiest place to go is either Studio Two Publishing. Uh, those are the guys that al- that also do um, uh, Savage Worlds and a number of other great uh, great indie RPGs. If you're looking for something that's outside of the D and D norm, Studio Two is a great uh, great place to start looking. Or on Drive Through RPG, uh, we have Cold Steel Wardens uh, PDFs on there already. 
All right, and I'll put links in the show notes to all the things we talked about. I'll include a link to our trial that we did of Cold Steel Wardens. Awesome. Uh, so if people have not heard of it, haven't played it, they can listen to us play it poorly, but funly. <laughs> you guys did great. Oh, I get that was that was a great game. So Andy, <laughs> once again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I think Ravenloft is a hole in my D and D world that I need to fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I expect to get a copy of this new Van Richten's Guide mm-hmm. as well. So maybe I'll put that on like my Halloween special bonus pot edition of something. <laughs> maybe I'll run a one shot there. Right. I know Tom, who runs some of our stuff, he he ran a Curse of Strahd mm-hmm. game. So maybe if nothing else, maybe I'll get to play in one. Yeah, so. definitely. I mean, it, it's kind of shocking to me that Ravenloft has kind of taken the spotlight away from from Forgotten Realms and definitely Greyhawk. There's been so little Greyhawk, but some of the other more classic uh, D&D settings. Uh, I I may have a few nitpicks with Curse of Strahd, but it's definitely brought so many new people to the hobby and interested so many people in something that's not necessarily just the, the stereotypical fantasy, but it's that, right. it's that D&D plus uh, thing that, that I personally just love. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, not to digress too much, but that's kind of 5e in a nutshell, is that it may not be the best RPG out there, but it's bringing in so many people to the hobby that you kind of, at least in my opinion, you got to be like, okay with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the rising tides, left yeah. all boats type of things. Even if it's not your favorite game, you can't deny that it's bringing tons of people into it, the hobby. It has made for a very good lingua franca, you know, that kind of baseline language where you you get some people slinging some dice and then you say, hey... Have you heard of Eberron before? You know, we can do a steampunk thing. And if they're onto that, you can say, hey, I've got this other game called Blades in the Dark that, you know, uses steampunk in a completely different way. And, Hmm. you know, once you once you get them in the door, you start showing them the other stuff. What else you can do with dice? Exactly. Uh, which is a great segue to bring it back around to uh, the closeout here where I'll say thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed as we continue to journey through all these various settings of the D&D world. But remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook Or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.